We're continuing our series in Romans. Romans part two, this is kind of the middle section of the book, and in the summer we'll finish up Romans, Romans part three. Right now uh, we're entering into this one little section, chapters 9, 10, and 11, that a lot of preachers skip because there's controversial stuff, hard stuff here. But we have a habit at our church of kind of preaching through the easy stuff and the hard stuff. We figure if God wants us to know it, that's why it's in the Word. We don't want to skip it just because it's hard. So just to warn you, there's going to be some tough stuff today as we enter into chapter 9 of Romans. If you don't have a Bible, you can open up your Bible to page 946 that you see under the chairs there. If you don't have your own, there's some nearby. I encourage you to grab those and open that up so that you can kind of know what we're doing here, every week we try to spend time looking at the scriptures together because there's a million competing ideas out in the world for what is right, what is wrong, what we should do with our lives. So we want to kind of come back to center and hear from the Lord. We believe the scriptures speak with the relevance and the authority of Jesus himself, that he hasn't left us in silence, but that he still speaks to us today through his word. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 9. Um, Years ago, I first started to go with our groups that were going to Guatemala. A lot of us have gone on these trips to Guatemala. We have uh, sister churches there, and we do a lot of ministry in Guatemala. There are a lot of hard things that we see when we're in Guatemala, a lot of just incredible poverty, uh, a lot of brokenness, but there's also beautiful things because it's just a beautiful country. I mean, we see volcanoes and mountains and coffee plantations and greenery and trees and jungles and just things that we don't see here. And it is, it's glorious. It's beautiful. Um, When I first started going to Guatemala, went a couple of times in one year, and I can just remember this ache over how beautiful it was. And because it was so beautiful, I wanted to share that with my wife, with my kids. I wanted them to see it as well. And that kind of ache to share the glory of something with somebody else is exactly what we're going to hit in Romans chapter 9 today. We were in Romans 8 a few weeks ago, and Romans 8 is the mountain peak. It's the glory and the beauty of Romans. There in Romans 8, we see the incredible promises that we have in Christ that nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love that God has for us in Christ. Just incredible promises, incredible beauty that we saw in Romans chapter 8. And so now in Romans chapter 9, some people think it's a weird turn that Paul takes, but in Romans chapter 9, we're calling it today, what about Israel? What about Israel? Paul all of a sudden starts talking about Israel after he'd been talking about how great our salvation is that we have in Christ. Why does he bring up this subject? Well, as as I said, he's just spent time looking at this glory and this beauty, and now his heart is anguishing and grieving over those that are part of his tribe, Israel. He's an Israelite saying, how come they don't all see how beautiful Jesus is? So his heart is just broken for them. He wants to share the beauty of what he's enjoying with others. Just as you might see something beautiful and think, oh, I want my friend to see this. I want my spouse to see this. I want my kids to see this. Paul, in the same way, saying, I want my family, Israel, to see the glory of Jesus. So we're going to read chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Um, we're going to later on read more of the verses all the way through 13, but I'm just going to start in 1 through 6 to get us going, and then we'll kind of look at the rest of it as we move through. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brother's my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. 
To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. We'll stop there. That's kind of the big idea, right? So what about Israel? This should be a question that you would ask just as Paul is asking. So if this salvation is so great, if God is so gracious, how come his Old Testament people aren't all falling in line and following Jesus? Not all of them are followers of Jesus. Why the disconnect? And Paul's simple answer here in verse 6 is, well, not all of God's people are really God's people. How, how can that be true? There are some that have the marks of being God's people, but don't have the faith and love of being God's people. And so he's going to spend the rest of this uh, section explaining that in a little more detail. But let me pray for us, and we'll kind of start marching through it and just trying to explain it verse by verse. So let me pray and ask God to help us. God, we pray that you would help us to understand what is a very difficult and complex text today. Pray that you'd help us to see the main things you want us to see, not get distracted by the hard things. Um, help us to wrestle with it, help us to do our homework, but also help us to have open minds and open hearts to, to receive what you want to teach us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I want us to focus on here is the emotional posture of Paul, and that's the grief, the anguish that he feels in those first few verses. And so I would say that's a model for us as well, that we should grieve for Israel. Paul is grieving for Israel. They're missing out. We should also grieve for Israel I would take it a step farther and say we shouldn't just grieve for Israel. We should long that Israel would know Jesus just as Paul is. But we should, like Paul, long for our people, whatever our people may be, right? Like whatever tribe you come from, you should long for your tribe to know Jesus as well. So let's look again at verses 1, 2, and 3. He starts off really making sure that people understand that he's speaking the truth, right? He repeats himself in some odd ways. I'm, I swear I'm not lying. You know, I'm speaking the truth. My conscience is, is true here. He's saying that because he's been accused repeatedly of being a Jew hater, of being against Israel, because what he did was he came along and he said, we have this salvation through the Jews in Jesus, who is a Jew. And what that means now is you can trust Jesus. You don't have to trust in being an Israelite to be saved. And so Israelites say, oh, that means you hate us. Paul's like saying, no, I I mean, he's going to spend this text here saying, no, I don't hate you. I'm just saying you're not saved by being a Jew. You're saved by trusting in God. That's always been the way it's worked. And there's always been the external outward people of God and then the people within that group that actually trusted God. That's always been the case, still the case today. So he's talking to these people that think he hates the Israelites saying, I swear I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. His heart is broken for them. He's truly grieving that they don't know the glories and the beauties of the gospel that he had just been talking about in Romans chapter 8. He says now in verse 3, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So that should remind you of a very important character, right? Someone who was cut off from his people for his people. The obvious connection is Jesus. It also should remind us of Moses, who said similar things to God when God was ready to wipe out his people. And Moses said something like, well, then just blot me out from your book of life, right? Take me instead of taking them in judgment. So we have this kind of pattern of substitution that we see fulfilled in the cross of Christ. Christ is the ultimate one 
who actually did this for us. So what, what we see here is this heart that Paul has that looks like Jesus, and it shows us what our heart should look like as well, that we should also be broken for those people that don't know God. And so that's my big number one question for you guys. My question for me as I've been praying through the text this week is, is my heart broken in that same way? Do I grieve for people that, that don't know how good Jesus is? Do I actually care? Do, do I feel that same anguish? There's a great quote by a theologian named Sinclair Ferguson that I thought was really helpful on the subject. So he's talking about this movement from the beauty of everything we have in the gospel in Romans 8 to now this anguish that Paul feels in chapter 9. And Sinclair Ferguson says this, we unbalance our lives if all we know is this anguish, right? So he's saying, if that's all you know is you're just constantly in anguish for everybody, that's a little bit out of balance. But he says, but we unbalance our lives if we never know it. So my question for you is, granted, if you're just always in tears over people that don't know Jesus and you're just broken all the time, that may be out of balance. But Ferguson's point is, are you ever in tears? Do you, do you care? Are you ever grieving for those that don't know the glories of what you know in Christ? Do you feel any anguish for them? Sure, it's unbalanced to feel it all the time, but, but do you feel it? He goes on and he says, if Romans chapter 8 doesn't produce this, then there's something awry with my appreciation of Romans chapter 8. What the gospel produces, my friends, and those who grasp its wonder and its grace and its glory, what the gospel produces is a tender heartedness toward other sinners. Toward other sinners, right? Christianity is not, I'm a good guy and you're a sinner, so I feel sorry for you. Christianity is, I'm a sinner and God forgave me and he loves me. And the glory of that forgiveness and that grace is so sweet and so good. I long for other people to know that. So my question for you that know that, do you long for others to know that? Do you have an anguish for them? Do you have a grief for them? Do you grieve? Do you cry? Do you hurt for people that don't know Jesus? I grabbed a picture of someone grieving head and hands. Um, what does that look like for us to truly grieve for people that don't know Jesus? I would say that because the gospel naturally produces this kind of grief, because the beauty of Romans chapter 8 naturally makes us hurt for those that don't know the beauty of who Jesus is and the un, uh, unstoppable love that God has for us in Christ, because that's a natural order of things, then if you don't have that grief at all, you need to wind back the clock and say, well, maybe I don't really know the beauty of this gospel. You see, if, you're, if your faith is just in your tribe, if your faith is, well, I belong to this people and that's what makes me okay, I'm a, I'm a good American, or I grew up in the right neighborhood, or I had nice parents, or I'm a, I'm a good person, or I'm friendly. If your faith is in that, that's not enough to break your heart to love other people, to have a humble, sincere anguish for others that need grace. But if your heart has been broken by the grace of God, if you realize that you deserve judgment, but God instead gave you grace, that will break your heart. That kind of gospel will transform you so that you will recognize your need of the gospel yourself, and you'll want to share that with other people. So I would say, ask yourself that question. Is my heart breaking at all for others that don't know Jesus? And if not, do I even know Jesus myself? Now, I'm not saying if you're a stoic person, that means, you know, you hate Jesus, right? Some of that's personality, but, but do you care for people? If you know Jesus cares for you, you're going to care for other people. So, so I'd say step one application is go back and review the gospel. 
What are you trusting in? Are you trusting in Jesus and what he's accomplished for you, or are you trusting in yourself? Because that's really a lot of what Paul's going through in this text is, you know, there's this problem where we trust in our tribe instead of trusting in God and what he's done. If you're trusting in yourself, that's not going to change your heart, and that's not going to result in supernatural love for other people. So are you trusting in the gospel, or are you trusting in just being a swell person? Are you just trusting in your own strength, in your own efficiency, your own law-keeping, whatever it may be, being a part of the good people, the good tribe, the good guys. So go back and look over Romans 8 again. That's what stirred this up in Paul's heart. Go back and look at Romans 8. Go back and read the Gospels. Just look at Jesus. That's the kindling on the fire, right? That's what kind of gets that fire going in our heart is seeing Jesus and all that he's done for us, who he is. Go back and look at him again. Look at Romans 8. Look at the Gospel stories. Look at Jesus and look at what he's done for us. And that will stir that love for others that we see modeled by Paul and that we recognize we should have as well. I'd also say then, then grieve for those who are, who are missing out. Real, like begin to name them in your mind. Begin to maybe make a list of, of the people of your tribe, right? Here, Paul's specifically talking about Israel. I would say we should grieve specifically for Israel, God's people who are missing out on the Savior that was born in their tribe. We should specifically grieve for Israel, but we should also grieve for people from our tribe, right? People from my city, people from my high school, people uh, from maybe the place you work. Who, who are your people, right? Who are the people that God's allowed you to rub shoulders with, that you consider to be your people? Well, grieve actively for those people. Begin to pray for them. Begin to pray for them. And then ask the Holy Spirit to give you opportunities to share the hope that you have of Jesus with them. And I know some people don't feel equipped to really speak of Jesus. Let me give you some verses that'll help you understand how to speak of Jesus. There's four verses that a lot of times people talk about as the Roman road. And so what it means is there's this kind of road through the book of Romans where there are these four verses that kind of order and lay out the basic story of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And it's Romans 3.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 6.23, and Romans 10.9. It just lays out the basic story of the gospel, that we're sinners. I'll say it again in a minute. We're sinners. We're broken. We're, we're all messed up, right? Like, I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. We're all under judgment. We're all sinners. And then Romans 5, 8 talks about, but God loved us, right? He has love towards us that sent Jesus towards us. And Romans 6, 23 talks about, and we've got this option. There's, there's death in our sins or there's life in Jesus. And it's a gift and it's grace. It's not something we earn, but... I've earned my wages. If you're going to work a time clock in this world, well, you get death and judgment. But if you're going to accept grace by faith, you get life in Jesus. And then Romans 10, 9, if you believe that in your heart, you confess that with your mouth, then you have this life in Jesus. So it's Romans 3, 23, Romans 5, 8, Romans 6, 23, and Romans 10, 9. I would write those down, begin to memorize those. Maybe just write them on cards you keep in your pocket. Just kind of refresh your own mind so that you're able to intelligently speak about these things. Because if you really believe this is a hope that's changed your life, you're going to want to talk about that with other people. I want you to be equipped to, to talk about that. I love it when you um, allow me to talk with your friends. I have a lot of opportunities as, as your pastor to get to talk to people about the gospel, and I love it. That's what I want to do. But also, I know there's opportunities you'll have that I'll never have. And I want you to be equipped and ready to talk of this, this love that we have for Jesus. So grieve for those that don't know Jesus. The next thing that Paul points out is that we should celebrate Israel. 
we should celebrate Israel. And we just see these in the two verses, verses four and five. And I kind of lay out two gutters that we fall into sometimes in our understanding or thoughts about Israel. One gutter is that Israel is stupid and doesn't matter. And that's, you know, Old Testament people of God, back when God was mean and angry, and it's all foreign and weird to us, right? Just kind of complete rejection of Israel as just either irrelevant or weird, right? That's one extreme. Another extreme is this kind of uh, going crazy for Israel that can almost become a false gospel that would be called uh, Judaizing in the New Testament, right? Like in Galatians, the whole book is written about this. Paul told people, you need Jesus to be saved. People started walking with Jesus. They were non-Jews. And then these Jewish teachers come along and say, yeah, Jesus is great, but you really need Jesus and circumcision and Old Testament law observance and kosher eating. And you need to take all the external trappings of the Old Testament. It's not enough to just follow Jesus. You also need all these signposts and pointers of the Old Testament for God to really love you. And Paul says, no, God, God loves you through Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament was just a pointer. It was just flannel graph. They were uh, messages and billboards that were showing us about this Jesus that was to come. And now that he's here, we don't need all those anymore. Those were just dramas we were acting out as we were waiting for Jesus to come. And so there's this extreme we can fall into saying, the Jewish people are so important that we got to be Jewish to be saved. Paul says, no, that's not true either. There's an in-between where we actually say, the Jewish people really matter. And that's half of our Bible. It's actually more than half of our Bible if, if you hold it up, Right. All of the Old Testament is very vital and important. That's where Jesus came from. Let's look at the text. I gave you too much explanation without looking at the text. Let's look at the text. Verses four and five. Paul says, they are Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the 